Mr. Francis Rattenbury was certainly, to all intents and purposes, a respectable middle-class Englishman, though he lived much of his life in Canada, where he was a successful architect. He retired to Villa Madeira at number five Manor Park Road, Bournemouth, with his much younger wife, Alma Victoria, in 1928. Perhaps it could be said of Mr. Rattenbury that he was, at 67 years, a man of some energy whose passions had at last gone off the boil, while his wife Alma, at a mere 38, was an ardent woman whose passions continued to simmer dangerously. Whether those passions had become sufficiently inflamed to drive her to kill was the question to be decided by the jury of the Central Criminal Court of the Old Bailey. She appeared there with her co-defendant, the young George Stoner, on Tuesday, May the 28th, 1935, accused of her husband's murder. On March 24th this year, at the Villa Madeira, Manor Road, Bournemouth, you did willfully murder your husband, Francis Mawson Rattenbury, by inflicting injuries from which he subsequently died. How do you plead? Not guilty. And you, George Percy Stoner, are charged that on March 24th this year at the Villa Madeira, Manor Road, Bournemouth, you did willfully murder your employer, Francis Mawson Rattenbury, by inflicting injuries from which he subsequently died. How do you plead? Not guilty. Mr. Croom Johnson, a barrister who behaved as though he'd inherited the old Bailey from a wealthy uncle, called the first witness for the prosecution. Miss Riggs, you were employed at Villa Madeira by the murdered man, Mr. Francis Rattenbury. I was, sir. In what capacity? As companion to Mrs. Rattenbury, and I would help in the house. And you were in the employ of Mr. and Mrs. Rattenbury when George Percy Stoner first came to the house? I was, sir, yes, just last October. He was taken on as a chauffeur handyman? Yes. And did Mr. Rattenbury agree to this engagement? Yes. You recollect that he did? Yes, sir. Um, I remember the day. Uh, you might recognise the name Lausanne, sir. Lausanne? It's Mrs. Rattenbury's artistic name. She's a composer. She's been on the wireless. Is this relevant to the offence of that day, Miss Riggs? Yes, sir. She'd been playing the piano, you see, one of her new songs, and Mr. Rattenbury was sitting with the newspaper in the big chair. Spend the evening with me. I don't care if you can't dance. I wouldn't want to miss the chance Alma? of a cosy... Alma, what's this? What's what, dear? Well, this obscure bit of... Is it something I should know about? Oh, I meant to show it you. We did talk about it, darling. Daily willing lad, 14 to 18, for housework. Scout trained, preferred. Our address and telephone number. We agreed we needed another pair of hands. Irene can't do everything, can you, Irene? Mrs. Rattenbury. You see? But we didn't say a boy. Oh, I know, Rats, darling. But I think you'll like him. Oh, you've got someone. Mm. His name's George Stoner. Very fit and very strong, isn't he, Irene? Uh, <clears throat> he certainly seems to be, Mrs. Rattenbury. And the best thing, darling, he drives. Yes, well. Why are you going this way? If you don't mind my asking. Oh, it's quicker, Mr. Rattenbury. Cuts off the sea. Well, I beg to differ. 
Along the coast road is quicker. Well, I've always found this way the best, Mr. Rattenby, but, well, we can go your way if you like. Would you like me to turn round? No, I wouldn't. Not now. Had a lot of driving experience, have you? Oh, yes, sir. Fair bit. It was my Uncle Albert taught me to drive. I suppose, as you say, I got to like it. And did your Uncle Albert have a good sense of direction? <laughs> what, him? You've got to be joking, sir. He could hardly navigate his way to his own privy. Yeah, yeah. But then you have to remember, Mr. Rattenbury, that the old codger was pushing on a bit. Was he, though? Oh, yes, sir. A good couple of years older than yourself, sir, I should reckon. The next turning, boy. Hmm? Don't miss it now. Miss Riggs, are we to take it you were close to Mrs. Rattenbury? Yes, sir. Quite close. You would sometimes go out with your mistress, shopping or to a concert? Yes, sir. So you were familiar with the... with the intimate life of Villa Madeira? You do see the importance of the question, Miss Riggs. I I've always believed, sir, that what people do in their private... The life... importance of the question, Miss Riggs, is that if the relationship between Mrs. Rattenbury and George Stoner had ceased to be one between that of the wife of the employer and the man employed, and had become one of adulterous intercourse then Mr. Rattenbury might be seen to have been in the fatal position of being in the way. There is no record of when and how the love affair began between Mrs. Rattenbury and her boy scout, George Stoner. But within a month of his answering the advertisement, the young man had moved in. And although the lovers must have required all the stagecraft of theatrical farce to conduct a clandestine affair in the close confines of Villa Madeira, opinion remains divided as to whether Rattenbury ever knew he was cuckolded in his own home. Alma's reckless nature, however, made it impossible for her to keep such an exciting secret for long. Good, isn't it, Mrs. Rattenbury? Hmm? Oh, Irene, do please call me Alma when we're out of the house. Oh, come along, let's go to the bar. Aren't you liking it? Oh, I guess I am. I just can't concentrate. But it's your evening off too, isn't it? Seems a shame to waste it. There's something I have to tell you, Irene. Uh, something you ought to know. Well, this is nice. Oh, they're going back. Um, I suppose if we... Irene. Yes, Mrs. Rattenbury. I mean, I... Um, you remember last week when you came into my room and George was there, supposedly examining the door on the wardrobe. Mrs. Rattenbury, you don't have to... And that he was perspiring more than you would expect for a man fixing a hinge. Oh, Lord. Oh, but he's so young. Eighteen, and I'm thirty-eight. We're going away next week. You and George Stone, it's just for a few days. We need some time together out of the house. Well, you'll take care of the boys. Of, of course, but won't Mr. Rattenbury guess? Well, he thinks I have to go to London for an operation. You know, a feminine operation. I see. I wish you didn't have to be so disapproving. I hate it so. I'm sorry, Mrs. Rattenbury. 
It's not my business. It's your life, after all. But if it was yours, I mean... Oh, what do you think I should do, Irene? I don't believe you really want to know what I think, Mrs. Rattenbury. No. I guess I don't. For four days, Alma Rattenbury and George Stoner stayed at the Royal Kensington Hotel and shopped in Harrods and Fortnum and Mason. In the anonymous London throngs, they could conduct their affair without fear of disclosure, and far from the melancholy presence of Alma's husband. Oh, yes, George, that does look nice. Oh, it gives you such an air of distinction. <laughs> What's that when it's at home? You know, you look very oh, grand and important. Yeah. But uh, I have to say one thing. What? You mustn't do up all the buttons on the jacket. Why? <laughs> it's not fashionable. Just these. Hmm? You see? Yeah. That's what gives it the look. Hmm. <laughs> Does he have suits like this? The old man? Oh, you mustn't call him that, George. Don't forget, it's his money we're spending. Yeah, does he, though? <laughs> no, not exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't say he had the look, then? Well, yes, if you mean of a laundry bag. <laughs> no, we mustn't. It's not fair. Rats is at the age where to be fashionable is beneath a man's dignity. <laughs> to be crumpled for a semi-retired architect is exactly the thing. <laughs> crumpled. Now, we must stop mocking him. <laughs> A laundry bag. George! <laughs> you always do this. You start me off and then all of a sudden make to defend him. I don't know what to think. Honestly, I don't, Alma. I don't know who you love. But in that way, in the way you mean, there is only you. Rats sleeps in his room downstairs. I sleep in my bedroom. He never even comes upstairs. And I promise you, there has been nothing physical between us for... Oh, well, a long time. How long? Long. Oh, Lausanne. Oh, yes. Call me Lausanne. I like that. Miss Riggs, two days after your mistress and George Stoner had returned from their sexual escapades in London, Mr. Rattenbury was murdered. Well, yes, sir. Do you recollect what went on between Mrs. Rattenbury and her husband? I remember he was very depressed. Do you think he had discovered his wife's adultery? I don't know. He was rather a gloomy sort of man on the whole. And was Mrs. Rattenbury sympathetic? Yes. She was, actually, sir. She was? Yes. She asked me to take the boys to the park and she took him out in the car. Damn me, Alma, you do drive fast. Now, dear, there's no call to swear. I thought you were bringing me out for a nice, gentle drive. A nice, quiet drive, I said. It, well, it isn't nice. And I don't like the wind. But it's March. Bournemouth is a damnable place sometimes. I can't abide the sea when it's that colour. And I hate Sundays. Oh, rats, darling. What's so unbearable? Being a coward. You're not a coward. Well, if I weren't, I would have done long ago what should be done. Your riddles. You know what I mean. Mm, the honourable thing. Now, don't mock me. Perhaps women don't understand honour. I don't understand why you would want to leave me and Christopher and little John on our own in the world. You'd all be better off without me. Darling, don't say that. <sighs> 
don't start being kind to me, Alma, please. It only makes me feel worse. I wasn't going to be nice to you. I was going to be very practical. You need to get away. The place is oppressive to you. Let's go and stay with Jenksy. No. Why? When? Tonight. Oh. Oh, all right, tomorrow. He may not be free. Oh, nonsense. He's always free. And I know he likes your company. We can drive over in the morning, just the two of us. I'll ring him right after lunch. You went out that Sunday evening, Miss Riggs? Yes, sir. To visit my mother. I returned late. Yes. After you went to bed, you say in your statement you heard George Stoner go into Mrs. Rattenbury's room. She slept separately from her husband. Always. And then what happened? Then, a little later, I heard her go downstairs and then call out, scream out my name. Irene! Irene! Just like that? Twice? Yes, sir. And when I got down to the drawing room, he was... Mr. Rattenbury was in the chair and his head was flopped sideways and there was a lot of blood. Oh, rat! Oh, poor rat! Poor thing! Oh, no! What's happened? Oh, after that, look at him. Oh, the poor thing! The poor thing! Well, hurry, woman! Do something! Um, I- I'll telephone the doctor! Yes, yes, darling! Go on! The mood of a court always changes with the arrival of the police witnesses. Inspector Mills of the Hampshire Constabulary was a man clearly accustomed to the witness box, where he was a seasoned performer in the old music hall tradition. He and Croom Johnson made a lively double act. Subsequently, a wooden mallet was discovered in the garden of the Villa Madeira. It was bloody, and attached to it were hairs which matched those of the deceased man. You visited Villa Madeira a second time later that night. That is correct. After visiting the nursing home and being appraised of the nature of Mr. Rattenbury's injuries. And, Inspector, when you entered Villa Madeira for the second time, it was, one would presume, to a scene of mourning and tribulation. And there was a lot of excitement, sir, but I wouldn't exactly say mourning and tribulation. Inspector, I don't know why you keep looking at the carpet. It's blood. You've seen blood before. Before I ask you any more questions, I'm obliged to caution you that anything you say may be used as evidence in any subsequent prosecution. Yes, of course. Well, then, I did it. Madam, I... I did it. People have needs. They have needs, don't they? You want to get something off your chest, is that it? I want a drink. That's what I want. Where is everyone? I'm in bed. I'll pour it myself. I'd prefer you to sit down, then. Oh, you would. I think you're a little worse for wear, Mrs. Rattler. Oh, my, you detectives are sharp. I've had better days. Oh, oh it's on my shoe. Oh, I've trodden his blood. Yeah, allow me. I just... Oh, I'm sorry, Inspector. I'm not behaving very well. That's so comforting. You touching my arm. Oh, my my poor boys, how will they bear it? Now, let's sit you down. Oh, so comforting. The gentle touch of a strong man. Sit next to me on the arm, please. It's quite indispensable, isn't it? I'm sorry? Human warmth. Which of us could survive without it? 
Or the promise of it. <clears throat> Do you have a waste basket, Mrs. Rattenbury? A what? To sharpen my pencil into. <clears throat> I need to make some notes. Did you consider Mrs. Rattenbury's behaviour in the circumstances to be unusual, Inspector? Yes, sir, I suppose I did. In what way? Well, in the way that she, uh... <clears throat> she seemed to be, uh... Flirting with you? Yes, sir. Mrs. Rattenbury's physician arrived soon afterwards and she was helped to her bed. And it was not until the morning after that she gave a statement to you unequivocally admitting culpability. Uh, she said, I picked up the mallet and my husband dared me to hit him with it. He said, you haven't got the guts to do it. I hit him, then I hid the mallet. Mrs. Rattenbury then said to me, he's not dead, is he? You're not the coroner, are you? Mrs. Rattenbury has shown herself to be, in every respect, an irresponsible, sensual woman, driven by lascivious appetites and incapable of tender feeling. A woman who can betray her husband in his own home, put at risk the moral welfare of her children, take up with the chauffeur himself hardly more than a boy, and flirt audaciously with policemen on the very night her husband has suffered a grievous attack. Whether to take the risk of putting Alma Rattenbury in the witness box was the first decision of her counsel, Mr. O'Connor. For George Stoner's counsel, Mr. Caswell, there was no such dilemma. I'm not going to let him speak. He'll talk himself into a noose. His youth's in his favour? His class isn't. What about her? I'm thinking of putting her in. Uh, Don't you think? She's pretty. I wasn't thinking that. What else? She's innocent. Is she? I'd say they were in it together. He cold-bloodedly murdered him, no. I think they went too far. Well, Stoner, as you know, used cocaine. It unbalances people. We'll be admitting manslaughter, but asking for clemency on the basis I can't of... go with that, Caswell. No? Well, I dare say she's very persuasive. Oh, she led your client astray. Will that be the line? Isn't it obvious? You do understand, Mrs. Rattenbury, that you may well be questioned by three barristers today. By myself, representing you. By Mr. Caswell, representing George Stoner, your fellow accused. And by Mr. Croom Johnson, representing the Crown. This won't be confusing for you? No, I don't think so. It seems pretty straightforward. I want to ask you about the morning after your husband's death. Yes. When you gave a statement to Inspector Mills. What do you recollect about that morning? Nothing. Nothing? I have no memory of it. So you recollect nothing from that morning of March the 25th until when? Until March 28th in the cell at Holloway. Your memory is blank for three whole days. Well, I had been drinking and, uh, as well, Dr. O'Donnell gave me half a grain of morphia to get me to sleep. With the shock of everything and all, I... I guess it overwhelmed me. And do you now deny the statement you made to the police in a state of drugged amnesia on that morning? I deny it. I did not kill my husband, sir. I'd like you to tell us what happened when you and George Stoner returned from your London trip. You can remember that. I can remember everything except for those four days. Good. We've heard that on your return... You found your husband depressed. Yes. 
and that you plan to take him away to visit a friend in Bridport. Yes. Will you tell the court how this decision affected George Stoner? I guess around midday. Oh, that's marvellous, Claude. We'll see you tomorrow, then. Goodbye. Oh, George, don't lurk like that. You gave me a shock. Such a look. What on earth's the matter? You know. Shh. No, George, I don't. What? Your promises. I'm the only one. The only one you feel about in that way. But George, dear, you are. But we must keep our voices down. Oh, we must, must we? Come in, for goodness sake. Now, what has gotten into you, dear? You were here with rats this afternoon. Yes? You know what I mean? With him, in the bedroom. Yes, with him in the bedroom, talking. And now you're going away with him. Oh, so that's it. Well, aren't you? For two days, to visit a rather dull friend in a rather dull town. No! I'd kill you first. Sure, don't be silly. Rats has been very depressed. I'm sure it's because he's such a recluse. Jenks is at Bridport is one of the very few people he'll actually talk to. Oh, I had to, darling. He's been threatening suicide again. So? Let him do it. I wish you didn't have to be so infantile. All right. All right, but if I threaten suicide... Oh, George. Not old oh, George. If I threaten suicide, I suppose you'd stay here after all. Oh, there are occasions when... Don't really I w- try and get out of it. I could threaten suicide till the cows come home. Why can't you ever give me a straight answer to a question? I wasn't aware you were asking me a question. All right. Here's one, then. Who do you love best? Me or him? Come on! Me or him! You're not going to Bridport with him. It's all right, darling. I'm just coming. Did you get that? Darling, no Bridport. Last week it was just you and me. Together in the bed. Together in the bath. Oh, please. Now I'm to show for you and him and call you madam and put up in the so-called... Bloody servants' quarters while you and him go off together to your room. Separate rooms. It's not going to happen. George, you wake the boys. He is still my husband. I must go. All right. Well, you go down and play the old duffer at cards then. Since you seem to find that more exciting than being with me. But I'm telling you, I'm not putting up with much more of this. Honey, why can't you just be happy with what we've got? Because I can't. I'm warning you. George! I'm sorry, darling. I have to go. Here's Wiss. You played cards with your husband that evening? Yes, until quite late. Then I went up to bed and left him dozing in his chair in the downstairs room. Of course. You've said you and your husband did not share a bedroom. No. We've heard from Miss Irene Riggs that when she returned from her evening out, you went to her room to speak to her. Yes, to tell her about the Bridport trip. And that was when she told me she had seen George on the landing looking over the banister. And what did you think of that at the time? Nothing, really. Then you went to bed? Yes. And went to sleep? No. You didn't sleep? No. After a little while, there was someone tapping at my door. George... Darling, are you all right? Let me come in, Alma. Is Rats asleep? Please. Oh, you really are in a state. Yes, darling, of course. What is it? 
You don't seem well. Just hold me out. Yes. 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 This is the only place I want to be. The world can turn black and crumble away for all I care. Darling, what is the matter? I'm... I'm in trouble. Don't ask me, Alma. George, you don't have to hide anything from me. I'm strong enough, you know. What use are we if we can't talk to each other? George! What? Speak! We won't be going to Bridport tomorrow. Let's not go back over that. We won't be going, Alma. I've hurt rats. Hurt him? Badly. I hit him, Alma. What? On the head, very what? hard, more than once. Hit him? With a mallet. You hit rats? Oh. Oh. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go and see. No, don't. You won't be able to bear it. Darling, I can't just leave him there. Suppose he needs a bandage or something. Alma. No, I'll go. You, you just snuggle up. Snuggle up now. Can you doubt that this young man was seduced, raised out of his sphere, taken away to London, given a very high time there, and desperate to sustain this extraordinary gift of privilege? Can you doubt his temptation, exacerbated by a passion for cocaine, to appeal to violence as a solution to everything? You may, as moral men and women, condemn this woman in your souls for her part in encouraging his vaulting hopes. But she will bear to the grave the brand of reprobation. And men and women will know how she acted. That will be her disgrace as long as she lives. You may think of Mrs. Rattenbury as a woman self-indulgent and willful, who by her own acts and folly had erected in this poor young man a Frankenstein of jealousy which he could not control. But she was quite unaware of the brutal act conducted in her home as she sat at her bedroom mirror unpinning her hair. And however you may judge her moral rectitude, Alma Rattenbury is not a murderess. The jury was out for 47 minutes. Do you find George Turner guilty or not guilty of murder? Guilty. Do you find Alma Rattenbury guilty or not guilty of murder? Not guilty. So much of what they say is not true. I did not ever dictate to George. George did as he wished. The rest is evil gossip. But they were determined to blacken my character. And I hope they are pleased now that they have succeeded. That my dear boys are made permanently ashamed of their mother. And that never again will their friends be allowed to our little house to play. The Villa Madeira is no longer a home. It is the house of a fallen woman. George Stoner's death sentence was eventually commuted to penal servitude for life. This might have saved her life also. 
but the news of it came too late to reprieve Alma Rattenbury. With remarkable determination, she took a small knife from her bag and stabbed herself six times in the chest, three of the wounds penetrating her heart. She died on the bank of that lonely stream whose pastoral charm she had chosen to sweeten her last glimpse of the world. For a long time after that, all doors were locked and all rooms were silent in the Villa Madeira. <laughs> 